Hello, welcome to the latest episode of Debrief, our video series that uh, is aimed at designated brokers, managing brokers, and broker owners. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about risk protection, right? And, uh, and I have two great guests who are going to uh, help us talk a little bit about risk reduction, what they're seeing, some trends, and um, maybe some things to talk about at your next office meeting. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have Bobby Petro-Chipman sitting here. Bobby is a principal managing broker. John L. Scott is a professional standards committee member, certified code of ethics instructor. Thank you for being here. Thank you. We have Michael Orbino. Michael is a managing broker at Compass and is the chair of the NAR Professional Standards Forum. Mm -hmm. So you both have a really unique view of risk reduction, code of ethics. Thank you both for being here. Yeah, thank you for having us. So, Michael, why don't you talk, let's just do a quick history of um, the Code of Ethics. Sure. I think one of the most exciting things about the Code of Ethics is it really is, you know, the National Association has talked about that's who we are as a branding campaign. But the Code of Ethics really, truly is that. It's really our founding document uh, that was one of the first um, things codified when we um, cobbled together this uh, national um, Board of Realtors. Um, and that was uh, done back in 1913. And the beauty of it is we have a number of our local associations that were charter members of that group. And so, and you know, the code of ethics, not unlike the United States Constitution, is it's evolved over time. I think that's the beauty of it. It wasn't perfect when it was drawn. Uh, nobody suggests it was, but it's been able to evolve and withstand you know, well over 100 years um, and, in, and continue to evolve and grow into what it is today. And it's really um, the principles um, I always think of it as, as not a rule book, but as guidelines, as an owner's manual of sort. Um, and if you follow those, I think you're going to have a very good, productive um, practice that has mitigated as much risk as possible. Well, great. Well, let's kind of jump into that then. And let's talk a little bit about uh, using the Code of Ethics to mitigate risk. What has your experience been? How, what are some best practices there? Well, from my standpoint, I teach the Code of Ethics regularly in my, in my office, in business meetings. We uh, oftentimes address one of the articles. And for starters, we just have to create a heightened awareness because as Michael is saying, it, it's brightening the path of our conduct. It is another layer, if you will, of positive expectations on how we interface with buyers and sellers and members of the public and each other as realtors or and or with licensees. And the first step is awareness and an understanding. And we were talking earlier about, we are curious as to how often the Code of Ethics is read by our members. And it's such a wonderful tool. So from that knowledge comes the application and the risk reduction. Yeah, I 100% agree, Bobby. And I think what is, is most interesting to me is it's sad to me that oftentimes the first time a broker or a manager opens up the code of ethics is either when they think they're in trouble or where they want to get somebody else in trouble and they want something to point to and say that's what you did wrong as opposed to I think it can be a much more proactive document and as mentioned this was written by members um, as chair of the professional standards forum for NAR part of my duties are to solicit feedback and it goes through issues, interpretations, and the Professional Standards Committee. And we are amending the Code of Ethics. I think we've done three amendments in the last two years. Mm -hmm. And so with all respect to the attorneys who write law, a lot of times the legalese is tough for a rank and file member to understand. 
Whereas the Code of Ethics is not a legal document. It is an aspirational document written by other members. So it reads really easy. And I would say, especially as um, if I was uh, in the position to onboard new brokers, I would say this is, this is what you should read. I'm tasked with reading it a lot because I'm around experts who know it cold. And so I have to read it often. Um, and it's not because I'm trying to get somebody in trouble or I'm in trouble. I, again, I use it as almost a guideline on how to behave. And I think if your brokers are regularly checking in with the code of ethics, a lot of the issues and problems happen that, that would otherwise happen will not happen. And that's how you mitigate the risk. Because in my experience, a lot of it is not nefarious. Um, it, it, a lot of the conflicts in our business are unintentional yeah. and um, built on misunderstandings and different levels of experience. You know, in most sports, you play with people in your own kind of weight class or skill level. Whereas in brokerage, you can have somebody who's been in for two weeks working with somebody with, that's been in for 20 years. So you cannot assume that they have the same level of knowledge or practice. And so reading that again, I think helps that. I really like what you say about the aspirational piece because the, uh, the preamble is, was actually taken from four articles that were removed because it is aspirational, not necessarily enforceable as the articles are, but it talks about patriotic duty, it talks about having um, the relationships established in writing, it's lovely, and it talks about do unto others as you would have done unto you. I think that's such a, a beautiful element of it and what it is that we get to do every day. So. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some trends that we're seeing. Um, so you both, uh, you teach code of ethics, you're hearing, um, you're seeing complaints. Mm -hmm. So what, what are we seeing right now in the marketplace? Um, what are some trends on complaints that we're seeing? Yeah, I think anytime you have an economic or market shift, the, in yeah. the, the potential for conflict increases exponentially. You know, we've gone through many years of basically, um, taking out almost every contingency to make offers work. So they were what we would you know, colloquially call clean offers, um, but they've missed a lot. And so the muscle memory and the stretching of experienced brokers, as well as the new learning of less experienced brokers is happening real time. And that is an environment that is rife for conflict, misunderstanding, and accusations of unethical behavior. Sometimes it is absolutely unethical. Sometimes, again, like I said, I, I tend to be an optimist and most people in our profession, particularly if they are realtors and they've held up their hand to be that, um, are trying their best. And so a lot of it is education and learning. And so I think that's where a lot of the, the conflict stems from is how do we compete in a shrinking market where there are less transactions? We are still at, we're back to historically low inventory. Mm -hmm. So when you're competing um, for the favor of a seller, how do you do that ethically? and knowing that we're still in a competitive business. And I would say that's the biggest, they may not rise to the level of grievance committee and accusations at that level, but just in the day-to-day -day brokerage, when people come to me and they say, well, this broker just said this about me and they didn't think I'd find out, that's the kind of stuff that I hear. And that can be very um, dangerous to your professional reputation. And so you may not ever, you could go a whole career without getting an ethics complaint against you. But once you have a reputation attached to you, that is very dangerous. And that's where I caution bro designated brokers and managing brokers not to just be satisfied that there's no formal complaints. They need to understand the reputations that are being created uh, for their brokers. 
You know, somebody who sits many hearing panels yes. and has the opportunity to chair many of those panels, Article 1 seems to almost always come up. And the summary of Article 1 is to treat all parties honestly. And whether that's how to sculpt an offer, as you're referencing, coming out of the market that we've been in, where brokers are saying, you need to waive this, you need to not add that, I don't feel confident that we've been taking the time to explain to buyers and sellers the pros and the cons. I think that uh, we are a resource and that we give all information, which to me falls under treating all parties honestly, all information so that informed decisions are being made. I think that's been a critical piece that's been missing. And I think that that is risk reduction in its own right, right there. If people really understood what it was that they were signing, yeah. what it was they were committing themselves to, I think that we would see fewer complaints. Absolutely, I 100% and wholeheartedly agree with that. So we were talking earlier, and Michael, I think you said if if you've made it to a hearing, you've already lost. Can, <laughs> can you talk a little bit about that and that sentiment? Yeah, I think, you know, we all have it. I have it in, in my, it's kind of in our DNA that we want to be heard and we want to have our day in court, so be it, to show everybody in the world that, you know, we were right and this other party was wrong. Um, but in my experience, it rarely plays out like that. Um, because everything is open to interpretation and what a group of your peers um, hearing it, um, you know, told as a story may or may not agree with, with how you approached it. And so I think, again, my hope is not to prevail in any type of hearing or grievance situation. My hope is never to end up there, right? And again, and to me, that is understanding the code of ethics so you can if you have to rely on it because something went bad, that's helpful. But better off if you rely on it to avoid the situations and the traps in the first place, whether they be intentional or unintentional. You should know when you're doing something wrong. And it's gonna not feel good to most people. Your, your tingling sense is say, hey, you know, I should probably do this a better way. And you, that only comes from knowledge. You, it's not, this is, a, this is a complicated business that has a lot of legal elements to it. You should not, I think sometimes people confuse the code of ethics and I'm an ethical person. Well, part of your job, and as, as the great Annie Fitzsimmons reminds us often, you know, our, the, the statute requires us to, we are held to um, the, the reasonable skill and care of a practicing attorney. That's heavy weight. As a pre-law student, that I've, I've never particularly liked that. I think that's heavy weight for, um, a salesperson and a broker, but it, it is what it is. And so part of being ethical is to read the code of ethics so that you know when you're doing something wrong. You don't want to find yourself in a position of saying, I didn't know that. I think another part about understanding the code of ethics and reading it on a regular basis is that when you're using that as a filter for your conduct and somebody does make an accusation, somebody does make a claim that you haven't been ethical, to be able to have that peace of mind yourself and to have comfort in knowing that you you did it the right way. And perhaps there was a misunderstanding right. by a member of the public or another licensee or realtor, but to have that comfort and know mm -hmm. that indeed you are in a profession that you are practicing ethically. Yeah. Can I, can I offer one very specific example? Yeah, please. So, you know, we have moved into a culture, I think generally as a society, of we need external validation. What I mean by that is people like, the, you know, they know that their food was good if, if, if it has good Yelp reviews, or they know that their trip was amazing because they have a lot of likes. How that manifests itself in the day-to-day -day practitioner's business is 
you will show a client a home and they will love it. But their first question is, are there any other offers? Is there an offer review period? It's very difficult, I think, for some people to move forward without having the external validation. So a very common practice is we'll get a call or we'll be doing feedback and I hear others complain about it and they will say, hey, if you get another offer, will you call it? Let me know. And the, the thinking there is, well, then I can tell my client and maybe bring you another offer. And they may think that's very clear. I will tell you as somebody who studies the code and just as a general practice, I always say that no promises. That will be up to the seller. Because the seller may or may not want to solicit multiple offers. And that may seem um, silly to people. Why wouldn't you want more offers? Well, if they've been on the market for a while, they may not want to do that. Or they may not want to threaten um, or they want, may want to, they see it as a sense of fair play of respecting the first offer that comes in. And I will immediately always answer that with no promises. If you are ready to write, please do so. Time is of the essence. And, but I will always ask the seller, do you want me to call back the folks that have asked to be called back or do you want to just move forward? And, but I will tell you, by doing that simple gesture of being honest and saying no promises, it's up to the seller, I can't tell you how many brokers have said thank you for telling me that. Because they can then go back to their client and say, hey, you know what? Yeah. If they get another offer, we may not get a second chance. So if you really want this house, and because What's sad to me is when brokers all of a sudden see a pending and they get mad at the listing broker and say, well, that was unethical. You should have called me. You know, we showed three times. We showed interest. I asked for the disclosure statements. I told you we were on the fence and you didn't even give us a chance. Well, these are the types of things that cause charges of unethical behavior. Mm -hmm. um, and I would submit that that wasn't unethical, but I think we can do a better job being honest with each other about what our abilities are in situations like that. I would agree. I think that the code of ethics, you know, provides guidance and it also creates the clear-cut limitation. And the example that you're giving, Michael, it is the seller's decision because it's the seller that's impacted by the buyer's reaction to knowing whether or not there are other offers on the table. And that can be a positive impact or a negative impact. Mm -hmm. So it, we have to remember that we're not the decision makers. Okay. Yes. Again, going back to positioning our customers and clients to make those informed decisions. Absolutely. So let's talk about um, an issue right now that uh, Professional Standards is grappling with, um, honesty in advertising. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk about a little bit about what that means right now, but also I think it's interesting that um, artificial intelligence is now, it, right? And, and I think Professional Standards is trying to figure out how uh, use of uh, AI um, uh, can, you know, uh, play with the code of ethics, right? That's, uh, frankly, it's a tough one to wrap my head around. I was in a meeting yesterday asking, is there going to be legislation regarding disclosure and artificial intelligence, whether it's scripting or an actual physical presence or voiceover, what it might be. And I can see why professional standards would be having that conversation. I, my personal opinion, it seems like the members of the public would want to know that is that false advertising? I'm not, I'm not sure yet. I, what are your thoughts? Well, I think we're still, we want to, you know, we're going to be leading a conversation at our national um, convention next week in Anaheim. And I'm excited to help, help um, lead that conversation because we still have a lot to learn. And this is happening real time. Um, there's some very smart futurists and technology leaders that suggest that the rise of AI will be bigger than the internet itself. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to be living through it and we need to adapt and adjust. And in my simple brain, I need comparisons. And I think back to 
is it, was it unethical to um, spray paint the grass green, right, that's dead? And then it became, well, is it unethical to Photoshop the green grass? Is it unethical to Photoshop an entire yard and pretend that it exists and it's not? And each one of those iterations, we had to go through a process, and I'm proud of those processes, to be able to determine which it is it isn't. Because obviously, if you, you can water grass and make it green or it's a bad time of year, but to create a wholesale yard that doesn't exist is probably too far. And I think we're gonna see a lot of those issues around AI. And I think where I'm very intrigued by is, are you speaking in your own voice or are you speaking in some kind of um, chatbot voice? And will it matter if, for instance, if I say, hey, ChatGPT, which will likely probably be outdated in a year, <laughs> but um, today that's the thing. And it'll be interesting to, if somebody watches this a decade from now and they say, wow, that was a thing like America Online. But if I say ChatGPT, um, study, uh, research the top five brokers in the country and create a marketing plan based on their work. That has been, people have spent decades to create that and you can essentially take it, copy it, mimic, steal it. I don't know what the decision, what we'll call that in seconds. Mm -hmm. And that is going to, I think, upset a lot of people. I think a lot of new careers are gonna be built on it, but we don't have an answer quite yet. But I'm excited that smart people are starting to ask the questions so we can have the conversations. And this gets back to the fact that it's a living document, right? The Code of Ethics mm -hmm. is a living document and it is grappling with these issues that uh, we're grappling with every day, mm -hmm. right? And so that I think that's kind of exciting. Um, right, so Code of Ethics is absolutely a foundational piece mm -hmm. of being a realtor. Um, do you have any kind of final thoughts for the audience that is watching this? The beauty of the Code of Ethics, I, I, I get a little excited about it. Um, I'm sure not everybody joins me in that, but you should try. Um, I think it's lovely that there is a process that if somebody does file a grievance or wants to file for an arbitration, that we are able to manage that internally, that we don't have to involve the courts. It certainly saves time and expense, and we're able to rely on the knowledge of real estate professionals, realtors that understand the code and its interpretations, and there's guidelines for interpreting those as well. So I think for the Code of Ethics to be just well embraced and understood as we continue mm -hmm. to grow in the knowledge of it as an industry is critical to what it is that we do every day. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think at the end of the day, as I, kinda, I come back to the opening remarks, which it's, a, it's our foundational principle. Without it, it all, it all falls apart. We are very proud um, of the work we do in advocacy, government affairs. But the only reason why we have that influence and power is because somebody at some moment, a group of individuals said, we're gonna to subscribe to this joint aspirational document and we're gonna do our best. And over decades, that has grown into what, what a realtor is. And that's what then allows us to go advocate on behalf of people and earn a living and create businesses. Without it, it all falls apart. And so I truly believe that. It may sound a little um, uh, you know, um, dramatic, um, but I truly do believe that. And I hope that you know, if you haven't looked at the code of ethics that way and you've just seen it as kind of an old, you know, dusty old rule book, please reconsider it open it up and read it left to right as if it were a book because it takes about seven minutes to read. It's not that long. Even a slow reader is 10 minutes maybe. It really does differentiate who we are. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. 
Good. We have resources on the debrief page to help brokers, um, designated brokers and managing brokers uh, dig in a little bit on code of ethics and all the other topics that we're talking about. And uh, if, I'm, yeah. if, if I may just add one thing in closing today, as we sit here, is, is the Observed Veterans Day. And I just want to uh, spend a uh, special shout out to all of our members and managers and owners and anybody watching who has served their country. Thank you for your service. As you have. Thank you for yeah. your service, Michael. Thank you. All right. Michael, Bobby, thank you for joining us today on this episode of Debrief. Uh, for those of you watching, I would encourage you to go to warrealtor.org and explore all of the resources we have there for our members. Thank you for being a member of Washington Realtors.